Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're pleased to bring back Mark Cirelli to discuss the A's system today. He did the Pirate system for us. You can hear that podcast up on our website at BaseballAmerica.com. Mark, the Pirates had one of the deepest systems in baseball. The A's, much less so. This is a farm system that is in the bottom third of Major League Baseball as of the organizational talent rankings at midseason last year. We all know about their issues with budgets and a lot of rumors about moving to Las Vegas. Matt Olson and Matt Chapman are reportedly on the trade block once the lockout ends. So this is always a team that constantly needs to refill from the farm system just because once players start hitting arbitration, they get too expensive for the club. Where is this farm system right now? And how does it compare to some of those top tier farm systems like the Pirates? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Kyle. Uh, certainly a different type of experience building out this top 30 compared to Pittsburgh. This farm system, rightfully so, ranks in the in the bottom third. And I think the one thing that becomes very clear very quickly is that it, it's missing those the top-end talent at the top to get excited about. The A's are really good at producing role players, guys who can do very specific things for you, and you can kind of supplement a roster around those guys. And, and there's plenty of those types still in this 30. I think some people who look at it more favorably will tell you it, it's sneaky a little deeper than, than people give it credit for. But right now, it lacks a lot of definition at the top outside of uh, Tower Soda's room. We saw the A's last year drop to 86 wins, which, again, is still a good season in the grand scheme of things. But for a team that has been in the 90-win range in 2018, 2019, and 2020, they were on a 90-win pace. Obviously, it was a shortened season and made the postseason all three years. The drop down last year was certainly disheartening. Bob Melvin, their longtime manager, left to go to San Diego. We've talked about some of the stars. Uh, this does feel like an organization in transition that's going to be dependent on this farm system. And given where this farm system is, what does that mean for this organization here in the next two, three, four years? I think it means the decisions that it makes with the Matt Olsons and the Matt Chapmans and maybe even a couple of their starters are critical to aiding the system because right now they're just there isn't that talent at the top to to just fill right in, right? You know, when, when Chapman or Olsen inevitably get traded right now, um, Tyler Soderstrom isn't, isn't quite ready probably yet. So they're definitely lacking at the top. That said, they're one trade, two trades away from this outlook looking considerably different. What would you say are the strengths and weaknesses of the farm system right now? You mentioned there not being a whole lot of top-end talent, but what is the strength and then maybe the weakness positionally? I think positionally with a strength, they have some interesting infielders near the top, whether it's a Nick Allen or a Zach Geloff, who really impressed uh, after they drafted him this year. The weakness on the flip side is pitching. There's not a lot of starting pitching depth in the system, uh, and there's not a lot of pitching in this top 30 that hasn't had at least one significant injury. I mean, there are PhD dissertations that are shorter than some of the injury histories for some of these guys. So right now they, they really just need some, some arms to step up and, and really pitch some meaningful innings for them. So as we dive into this farm system, you mentioned there's not a ton of star power, but there is one guy at the top who definitely fits the definition of a top-tier young prospect in baseball, and that's Tyler Soderstrom. He was their first-round pick in 2020, made his pro debut this year, went right up to Loe Stockton, and was one of the best players in the league uh, doing the Loe West Top 10 uh, based on my own looks as well as conversations with scouts, managers, observers across the league. 
And it came back that this was the best prospect in the league this year. Just such an advanced young hitter who people think has the ability to be a plus hitter with plus power at maturity and be that offensive force who can change games with one swing. What were some of the things you were hearing about him? It's fairly safe to say this was the clear cut number one in the system. There was no one else in the discussion, but just as you were kind of making your calls and digging in, what were some of the things that stood out about Soderstrom and how good can this guy be? So to, to go back to last year after the A's drafted him, pretty quickly the, the feedback started to trickle in. that This kid could be special. It's a little bit different of a high school bat than what we normally get. And, and it wasn't long before people within the organization started comparing him to some of the better draft picks that they've had over the last 10, 15, 20 years, whether it's an Eric Chavez or Grieve. Like it, the feedback was really positive really fast. And the biggest thing that stuck out to me this year is that that positive momentum, that positive feedback only continued. He had a really hard time finding anyone to really say anything critical about Soderstrom at the plate. You're looking at a hitter when, uh, when he reaches his peak, if he reaches his peak, he'll be 280, 290, maybe even 300 with 25 to 30 homers a year. Like it's going to be, or it could be really impressive production. Uh, as far as the bat goes, very mature, probably ready for, for a more aggressive assignment. Um, and, and everyone was very convicted in it. What was less clear was where he ultimately slots in defensively. Yeah, so I think before we dive into the defense, one of the things that's important to remember is the level of hitter he projects to be is someone that will play at any position. If he's a first baseman, he still could be an all-star first baseman. Again, looking back at some of the scouting notes I collected over the course of the year, it's a really, really polished swing. It's all fields power. It's a really good bat path. It's a good eye at the plate. I mean, everything that you want to see offensively, it was all there. Defensively, there's been a lot of question about how realistic is it for him to remain a catcher moving forward what is the outlook there? I think it comes down to, to how long the A's are willing to wait, really, because it, it's, it's rough defensively. He never really caught velocity or premium pitching as a high schooler. He's very raw. You, you can see, and people saw improvement out of him this year, even compared to the looks they had after he was drafted. But it's so much further away than the bat that it, it immediately brings into question, well, are the A's really going to give the defense enough time to marinate when you've got this, like you said, this bat that you could slot in at any number of positions and, and, and hit right away? Um, the, the comparison that seems to get brought up a lot is the Bryce Harper, Will Myers path for him. And it, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and compare him to a Bryce Harper, but it's a similar kind of question that, that a Harper or Myers faced when they were drafted and they were initially a catcher. And at some point the organization has to make a decision. So if, if they really believe that he can catch, you're probably looking at another couple of years of that defense maturing to the point where it's major league ready, but it's considerably behind the bat. Yeah, I think what stood out was there was a sense that the defense was not maybe as terrible as people had been led to believe. I heard that a lot from a lot of pro scouts who had heard the amateur reports and, and seen some things that were written about him. And when they saw it themselves, were like, yes, this has a long ways to go, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't hopeless. And just to be frank, you see some guys in low A who are catching. It's like they just can't do this. And that was never the case with Soderstrom in my looks or their looks. To kind of put in perspective where it has to get to, one of the reviews was throws okay, pretty agile, moves around okay. Right now, it's a 30-grade catcher with the possibility he can get to 50 in the future. It could be average in the future, but 
it's going to take time. And, and as you mentioned, the bat already is just so advanced, so special. There is always going to be that pull of, you know what, let's get him up here and also maybe not subject him to the grind and the wear and tear of catching because if we just keep him fresh and he's at the plate and able to play 150, 155, 160 games even, you could have one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah, you really nailed it. And, and I mean, this season he, he, he had an oblique injury. That it took the A's a while to diagnose exactly what the injury was. Ultimately, it was an oblique injury that shelved him for the last two months of the season. And you saw at different points during the year, he'd miss a game, he'd get a little nicked up from catching, and it really brings into question, you know, do we really want to subject such a special hitter to this wear and tear in the grind of catching? And I think, I think there's, there's convincing arguments on both ends, but um, because of how good the bat is, I don't know if I would be the one to, to want to put him behind the plate for a full season. Again, regardless of position, this is a special, special young talent who, as long as he stays healthy, um, there, there's a lot of conviction in the bat for a guy who has played less than 60 games of low A in his entire professional career. And again, there's no such thing as a guaranteed prospect, especially not one who has such a small track record and sample, but really did stand out. Just everything is there for him to be a, a really, really elite level hitter in the major leagues as long as he progresses as he currently is mark this was a clear-cut number one there's no point really dwelling on asking if there was anyone else consideration but after this there was an interesting group of guys you had max muncie their first round pick this year nick allen the defensive wizard who got to triple a this year and played for team usa i think Coming in from the outside looking in, you assume maybe it's one of those two guys, maybe Pedro Pineda, who was a big-time international signee. But the guy who slotted in at number two for you was actually their second-round pick in this year's draft, Zach Geloff, out of the University of Virginia. What put Geloff ahead? Really positive feedback, to the point where we had to go back and look at, I believe he ranked as our 79th overall draft prospect, and you had to go back and look at, well, what changed? And as a hitter, People were pretty confident that he could hit. There was power there. He was a performer for three years at Virginia, junior year on a team that got to the College World Series. But there was a question of kind of what the power potential was or, or what does it look like against professional pitching. But there's pretty considerable pull side power. It's a very simple swing. He makes a ton of contact. He can spray the ball to right field, right center field if he needs to. And I think the, the combination of approach, power, uh, contact ability, and, and he hit the ground running immediately, so much so that the A's felt confident enough to, to stick him in AAA for a quick cameo by the end of the season. So I think he even surprised people within their player development where maybe he was a little bit better or more further along than, than they anticipated. So uh, offensively uh, exceeded expectations and, and really kind of over a six-week sample improved his outlook for, for 2022 and beyond. Yeah, one of the things that was an interesting point brought up about him, first and foremost, the power numbers at Virginia were never particularly loud, but Virginia is not a park where a lot of people hit home runs. It's a pretty expansive park. But the other thing is, this is someone who, in an alternate universe, and there's you know a Cape Cod League in 2020, maybe this is a guy who puts up such a loud performance, people start talking about him in that first round range as one of those guys who can just plain hit. And we see those guys a lot go out, have a great performance in the Cape, swing the wood bat, and all of a sudden they come back their next year and maybe they've gone from potential second, third round pick into that back of the first round range. But because he didn't get that opportunity, maybe people just didn't know how good of a hitter he was. 
Yeah, he's really strong too. The A's felt like once he got into a professional environment and, and they could work with him a little bit, there were subtle changes to be made that could unlock more power. The other thing that, that clattered his draft outlook a little was, was some of the defense. And you talk about how there was no Cape Cod League in 2020. Well, there was also a COVID-shortened college season in 2020 in which uh, he developed a little bit of a, a throwing mechanic issue. I think he had some arm problems and it brought into question whether he could stick at third base long-term, which is still, it's still a question he's going to have to answer. But some of those factors that are just, you know, the last crazy last two years contributed to kind of an interesting guy going into the draft that immediately exceeded expectations. Certainly someone to watch. It certainly was eyebrow raising seeing him at number two already in the system, but uh, it speaks to the potential, particularly at the plate. And we'll see if he's able to carry it into his first full season. Nick Allen is one of the more unique and interesting prospects in the minors. He is very, very small. That's always been the thing with him. He's listed at 5'8". That is a generous listing. Listed at 166 pounds. He's gotten a little stronger, but really it might be 5'6", 170 or 5'7", 175. Just a, a small guy, but an absolute defensive wizard with the glove. That's been the book on him since high school, and he's proved it in pro ball. Uh, really got to show it on more of a, a grander stage this year, playing for the U.S. Olympic qualifying team in Florida, and then the U.S. Olympic team that took silver in Japan. Uh, a really dynamic defender at short. The thing that's always been kind of a question is how much is he going to hit just because of his size? What's the strength going to be? But He's continued to hit. He hit pretty well in 2019 at Stockton. Came back this year. He hit very well at Midland in AA. Finished the year up at AAA. Didn't hit as well there. But again, small sample. First taste of that level. On the whole, he seems to consistently outperform the expectation for what he's going to be offensively. Not power-wise. No one expects power. But he's been able to get on base, make contact with his defense. That could be enough. What is the overall view of Nick Allen? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, the narrative doesn't quite match the production, especially in the last two, two and a half years for him. Outside of, I think, half a season at Beloit, he, he's always hit decently well for the level he was at. And that continued into this year. He made it up to AAA. He played with Team USA, like you said. I think with Allen, the question is, where, what does the offensive production have to look like to, to be a full-time starter at shortstop if you can play? Uh, superb to potentially even gold glove defense. And it's, it's the question now is the game. You don't have as many guys who really light who start, you know, full-time regular. Um, so I guess it's more of a philosophical question with him. I was trying to look because the A's like to compare and they use David Fletcher as kind of a blueprint for Allen because two years ago, Allen got a little power hungry. He was get, trying to get the ball in the air and they basically said, that's not really working for you. Like it needs to stay gap to gap. I mean, he hit six homers this year. I don't really think home run power is really ever going to be in his game. So they use David Fletcher. We got like a Nick Punto comp on him. There's the Brendan Ryan thing. Um, I was curious. I was going to offer up to you. I mean, if you look at what Nicky Lopez did with the Royals this year, where there's really good defense, he hit 300. I think his OBP was, was 360. He stole 20 bags. I don't quite know if Allen gets there as a professional but if it's somewhere in that neighborhood I think you are looking at an everyday shortstop so I think there is starting shortstop potential he's such a good defender he can make every throw I think he could also handle like a multi-positional versatile kind of role there so um, people are definitely split on Allen and I think too when if you only see him for a couple games or you're only sizing him up or you look at the swing and it's 
there's not a ton of impact there. Maybe some evaluators are more, more quick to write them off. But I do think that there's, there's a low-end first division regular starting shortstop there. Yeah, I mean, if you really like him, you see him batting eighth in an American League lineup, maybe ninth, playing great defense, hitting for enough average and on base that it works out. We have seen Nick Punto as a comp, Brendan Ryan as well, light bat, exceptional defender. John McDonald has come up at times, though he was less of a true starter. So I think there's no question people see a major leaguer here. The defense is just so, so, so good. And he hits enough where you say, okay, yeah, like you can do something here. It's just, is it going to be 220, 230, 240? But it does seem like the grades on the bat from outside the A's organization are pretty consistently, you know, 40 hit, 30 power, which points to 240 with maybe he gets to five homers, but the defense is so good. You can live with that as the number eight or nine hitter in your lineup if you have a good lineup the rest of the way. It seems like that's the general thought here. Yeah, definitely. And I think there should be opportunity for him pretty soon. I mean, they have Elvis Andrews under contract for this year, but uh, outside of that, you would imagine that Allen should get some runway to, to at least slot in. But like you said, he, he's the type of player you can slot in on a better team. And, you know, in two years, we don't quite know what that lineup is going to look like around him in Oakland. I will say the defense is pretty spectacular. I've always liked Brendan Ryan as a comp defensively because he's not a guy who's going to be making insane diving plays, but just the angles he takes to the ball, how much ground he covers, how smooth everything is, the footwork. It's its really spectacular. And it's game-changing defense at shortstop. You saw it for Team USA. The A's have seen it for years in their system. And we're going to see it very quickly here in the major leagues. All right, Mark, someone else in this top five that is intriguing is Pedro Pineda. He was the A's top international signee last year, someone that was very, very intriguing all around. What were the early reviews on Pineda? Again, it's only 23 games in the ACL and 10 games in the DSL, so you don't want to go too crazy, but people did get a look at him and saw what he could do. What were some of the early reviews there? I think the most optimistic thing for Pineda is that the early reviews matched what got people so excited about him in the first place as an amateur prospect, where it's almost an abundance of tools, a ton of power. He can run. There's plate discipline there. There's a more mature approach than maybe you'd expect out of a 17-year-old. And a lot of that showed up in a very limited amount of time at the complex league, uh, where it's going to take a lot of time with him. I'd expect him to go back to the complex league, maybe even spend a good chunk of 2022 there. Um, the swing is so aggressive and so violent that it leads itself to some swing and miss, but it also leads itself to some pretty impressive uh, home run power, home run potential. So I think as far as an athlete goes and kind of the, the, the tools across the board, probably one of, if not the most exciting prospects in the system, there's just a lot of time and it's going to be a slow burn. Yeah, it is one thing. You look at these top five prospects and kind of to our point earlier, where if the A's make some trades, once this lockout ends, they're going to need some guys to come up and fill spots in another way. Cause these guys are not ready yet. Four of these top five prospects have yet to play above low A, not counting Zach Geloff's very, very short stint at AAA at the end of the year. Nick Allen's the only one who has played above the low A level. So again, I think it's an interesting case where you're talking about good players, but they're all going to take time. And there's, there is a little bit of a gap here between if the A's do make these moves, when these guys are going to be ready versus when the A's need some reinforcements. 
Yeah, and you know, as I was thinking of, of comparables as far as a, a dynamic tools perspective, the other name that came to mind for me was a Denzel Clark, who they just drafted in 2021. And, and, you know, a lot of tools that hit to a question, but another guy who's nowhere near the majors. So it, they are starting to build a lot uh, at the lower levels at the complex league. But like you said, it, it'll take a little while. All right, Mark. So these are some of the guys in the top five. I want to dive in a little bit on some of the guys in six to 10 range, as well as some of the depth guys and, and high profile signings who may or may not have worked out. First, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back with Mark Chiarelli breaking down the Oakland A's system. All right, Mark, we talked about some of these guys who are very intriguing in the top five, Tyler Soderstrom being slam dunk top 50 prospect in baseball, guys like Geloff, Allen, Pineda, who are all at very different points in their development, but all show things to be excited about and things that you can envision helping the A's a couple years down the road. Getting into the six to 10 group, you do have some guys who are older, have made their major league debuts, but... There are reasons to be cautious. And it starts with A.J. Puck and Dalton Jeffries at six and seven. Puck has been the number one prospect in the system at times. Uh, Jeffries was a top draft pick as well. Both have reached the major leagues. Uh, Both have very, very long injury histories. I want to start with A.J. Puck. What is the latest on him? And and what is the outlook on him now in scouts' eyes? He he pitched primarily in relief down down the stretch. And he was injured, surprisingly, injured to start the year in 2021. Came back and his velo was sitting 92-94. And, you know, he's had shoulder issues. He had Tommy John. And you're, you're like, uh-oh. That velocity crept back to more where you're expecting in the 95-97 range. And, and even, you know, more consistently 96-97, maybe touching even 98 when he came out of the bullpen by the end of the year. But he didn't start. Not a lot of starting experience. He's never started in the major. He's going to be 27 years old on opening day. Like, you really just look at it. And, I mean, I, I tried. You try to look at it from both sides and say, you know, is there a path to starting rotation still for A.J. Puck? I think the A's will tell you, you know, they'll give him a shot. But I don't think there's a lot of optimism that, that starting is, is uh, feasible for him right now. So you have to almost readjust, recalibrate, and look at it from, from more of a – whether it's a reliever or a bulk inning role. But 
it, with him in some ways it's really the same old thing he has not been able to stay healthy and when he has been healthy the stuff still looks potent it still looks pretty good although the slider maybe is half grade below where it was at its peak and, and the changeup was a little firm for the a's liking this year but it really just comes down to health and um I just don't know how you could feel good about him in a rotation holding up over the entire season. Has always had a, a very, very big arm, but as you mentioned, you can have all the stuff in the world. If you're not available, it, it, it's hard to really say, yep, that guy can start and, and we just haven't seen him be able to do it. But nonetheless, if he can be a, a two, three inning weapon out of the A's bullpen, there is value there, especially given the A's have some pretty good starting pitchers. So I do see absolutely why he's still a top 10 prospect in the system. Even if it's just purely reliever, it does seem like there is a role for him. It just, like you said, all signs point to it being in relief. Yeah, it's still pretty loud. You know, it's interesting to compare him to Jeffrey's, you know, Jeffrey's total opposite where you really do see how the, the path to being a starting pitcher is there. Like the arsenal makes sense. He throws a ton of strikes, but again, you know, he just needs to be on the mound. Even in 2021, Jeffries had biceps tendonitis. He had a flexure strain. There's been injury issues dating back to college. And it, I think at this point, with both of them, it's like you know, you're running out of time here to, to be able to prove to people that, that you can compile innings. Yeah, Jeffries had a pretty good year at AAA, especially in the context of Las Vegas. Did a really good job limiting walks, limiting self-induced mistakes. And, you know, through 92 innings total this year between AAA and the majors, it's the most of his career, even going back to college, he's never topped 100 innings. So again, the durability issues do exist. But I think with Puck and Jeffries, it's fair to say these guys, they have a decent chance to contribute to the A's in some form or fashion. It's just probably not two guys in the starting rotation like everyone dreamed about when they were drafted back in 2016. Yeah, I think that that's very fair. I mean, if you just expand out, if you look at the A's top five pitching prospects, it's A.J. Puck, Dalton Jeffries, Colin Palouse, Jeff Criswell, Brent Honeywell, another guy who's like the injury history is, is outrageous. And even with, with Criswell, there's a huge injury risk. So I, with, with all these guys, you just look at it and say, you hope that they stay healthy, but there's a ton of risk here with, as far as pitchers go in this system. Mark, one of the breakout players in the system this year was Lawrence Butler, went out to low A Stockton this year. And even when his numbers weren't great earlier in the year, there were a lot of people starting to buzz about him. Just huge power, really good athlete. And as the year went on, everything got better. He just kept improving with more reps. This was his full season debut. He played short season ball back in 2019 and really, really struggled. Hit a buck 77 with 90 strikeouts and just over 200 plate appearances, but came back this year and there were still some strikeouts, but as the year went on, you just saw him getting better and better and better. The tools kept getting louder and louder and louder. Power, speed, and improving as a hitter. This is someone who absolutely is rising in this system. What is the overall outlook for Lawrence Butler? Yeah, you know, when you, you take a step back and just look at the, the raw power and the, the exit velocities, we had him north of 110 miles an hour. It's some of the best in the system. And when the A's drafted him, they knew he was going to take a longer time as a high school developmental guy in the sixth round. One of the interesting things with Butler is that he spent the shutdown working out in Atlanta with, with some older players, some veteran players, some guys with major league experience, including Mariners prospect Kyle Lewis. And I think that that helped him kind of – hone in on, on what a professional approach kind of looks like and some of the things he had to do to get to the abundance of tools that he has. And it started to show up definitely throughout the season. The, the one kind of 
flashing red light, red flag, I guess, if you were to just look at the numbers, was the 33% strikeout rate. But even that, he, he was cutting down kind of incrementally throughout the season. So it's a really fun profile. I mean, it is legit kind of above average to plus speed. Enough so where he played some center field this year. So you're looking at a first base, corner outfield, maybe emergency center field defensive profile with 70-grade power uh, who even when he got to high A this year before uh, the end of the season, I think he hit north of 300 and showed that same power. So a ton of positive indicators with Butler. And I think he, he kind of emerged as one of the most exciting guys in the system. Yeah, especially if you look from about end of June on after he had those first six weeks to kind of get his legs under him. And, and so many guys, especially the guys who are making their full season debuts, just need that little bit of time to kind of get back to the speed of the game a little bit. He's able to keep his strikeout rate. He did get it just under 30% there toward the end of the year. Um, but again, uh, slash line across the board, you know, over 300 on base, you know, in the 370s, slug well over 500. There's definitely something here. And, and just as I was making calls around the Cal League, well, I low A West, but still the Cal League in my, <laughs> in my head and my heart is the Cal League. And, and us calling around about the A system, this was a name that just kept coming up. And unfortunately, the days I was out there seeing Stockton, uh, we just didn't have great games it, it happens you get a guy just see him at the wrong time but he's going to be making sure that you uh if he sees you in the stands the next time he's going <laughs> to run the other way or something i guess but yeah he definitely was a guy who again the, the name kept coming up over and over and over again as someone to watch the a system and as we've talked about without maybe some of the super high-end talent this is someone who at least has the tools where if he continues to make the strides he did over the course of last year you can dream a little bit yeah, and I think when you look at you start talking about strikeout rate, people get this perception that it's, you know, ton of swing and miss. It's not like he was just this reckless hacker. His walk percentage, I think, was 13% this year, one of the best in, in the low A West as well. Uh, and he got to the power a pretty decent amount. He was fourth in the low A West in homers, tied with a guy named Noel B. Marte. You might have heard of him, or Mark, he's one behind Marco Luciano. So it, it's legit power. And uh, by the end of the year, he 19 homers, 29 stolen bases. Like, it's a really fun profile. Overall, as you're putting this top 10 together, how many guys were slam dunks? This is a top 10 guy versus how many guys were kind of on the fence? Uh, the two guys who were right there on, uh, in the conversation were Jeff Criswell and, and Denzel Clark, who, who just missed it. So I guess you could run a list of 12, 13. I think there are some people who, who would say Jordan Diaz's bat alone might get him into the back of a top 10 in a list like this that isn't as thin. I didn't personally think that he was quite a top 10 guy. So you're looking at probably 12 or 13 guys who, who factored into the, the top 10 conversation. So two names who were not mentioned there, and, and understandably so, were Austin Beck and Robert Poisson. Beck was the sixth overall pick back in 2017. Poisson tied with Jason Dominguez for the largest bonus given to any international player in the 2019 international class. Both of them really, really struggled this year. Beck went up to high A Lansing and hit 202. Also with a short stint in Vegas, his overall slash line on the year was 198, 251, 369 with 104 strikeouts against only 17 walks. Uh, he also struggled in the fall league after the year as well. And then Poisson, uh, I got to watch a lot of him at low A at Stockton. Just to be frank, it was a guy who was not ready to be at the level he was at. We saw that a lot in low A this year. Jake Vogel with the Dodgers was one of those guys. Over on the Cubs side, Ed Howard a little bit, especially early in the season. Just guys making their pro debuts who probably just weren't ready for the level they were at. So 
how much of that is them versus just unfortunate circumstances. But what are the reviews on these two right now? Just the fact that they were not in the top 10 discussion. Yeah, I think they're two very different, I guess, degrees of panic where one guy is in the top 30 and one is not. Austin Beck has fallen out of our, our top 30 when the prospect handbook starts to get sent out. You will not see Austin Beck's name in there. At some point, for all the tools and, and physical ability, um, you got to start making contact. And Beck has just not been able to figure out breaking stuff at the plate. The swing and miss is still a huge concern. He just doesn't get to his power enough. And it hasn't been, it hasn't really gotten any better. They, they tried, they sent him up to um, AAA actually for, I believe, two weeks this year, hoping to be around some older players, some veteran guys, maybe use that as a reset for him to then go back to high A Lansing, take what he learned, and, and maybe turn it into some positive momentum. It didn't happen. I mean, you keep a guy like, like Beck alive because of the physical ability, but the hitting just hasn't been there so far. Then, regards to Poisson, what were the overall reviews on him and his pro debut? Yeah, you nailed it as far as the guy who probably just wasn't ready for the level. There were a lot of people outside the organization who watched him and, and were curious what he was doing at Lowe West. And he made his, his professional debut at Lowe West, bypassed rookie ball. I mean, it, nothing has been uh, normal, I guess, or ordinary for Poisson since he became a professional. He spent 2020 at the alternate site, then went to Instructs. He's an 18-year-old at Lowe West. So when you think about kind of the, the challenges that uh, come along with that, you, you want to give him, I guess, the benefit of the doubt, or, or I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as to say a mulligan because when your ground ball rate is north of 60% and you strike out 41% of the time, there are very clear issues there. There were clear issues in the field, but some of the extreme circumstances with him, you take into account the age and, and there's still kind of that, that physical ability, the tools are there. Um, you're giving him more benefit of the doubt that, you know, he, he's almost more than likely going to, go back to low A West next year that you hope it gets a little better. And I guess from, from what I heard, once he went down to instructs after the season, uh, he looked better than he did either during the season or even how he looked at instructs a year ago. Yeah. He's very athletic. That's very, very easy to see. Again, I got to sit on him and watch him very, very erratic plays very, very out of control, just kind of all over the place. And again, it's what you see from a lot of really, really young players. He just was not ready to be at the level he was at. And that was exposed very, very clearly when he was at the plate. There's times you'll see some whip in the barrel every now and then you'll see him line a ball and run around a little bit. You're like, okay, you know, there it is. But he was just completely overmatched. The, The level of stuff, both fastballs and breaking balls he was seeing. It's one of those interesting debates where how much do you bang a guy for just being somewhere he wasn't ready to be? It's probably not the best look at what his actual talent level is just because developmentally where he was, he just wasn't ready to be there. Yeah. And you know, his swing doesn't stay in the zone very long. Like there is some, some very clear things that he is going to need to either address, fix, change at the plate defensively. You know, like you said, he'll make a highlight real play and then he'll botch the routine one. So it's, it's almost head scratching in, in some regards. Um, but you're not going to necessarily write him off yet. But at the same time, you don't see a lot of top-tier prospects struggle the way he did. You have to take that into consideration. That's why on our list he fell out of the top 10, and he's actually just outside the, the top 15 now. So my, my approach to him as far as our, our rankings went was uh, very clear red flags, but I'm trying to give him as much benefit of the doubt as I can considering the situation. But Next year, you, you are going to, if you don't see improvement, you're, you're suddenly 
that panic level where we were at with Austin Beck a couple minutes ago, you start to creep, 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 creep up, creep up. He has to repeat low A. I mean, it, that is something that has to happen, and we'll see what adjustments he's able to make. Mark, even in systems that are in the bottom third of organizational talent rankings, there are always guys who emerge in what they're in the 20s, the 30s, or just off the list. Guys take steps forward and, and turn themselves into players who either reach the big leagues or are able to serve some utility. Uh, we see that a guy like Seth Brown with the A's was a great example. I remember seeing him at Stockton and thinking, you know, there's there's something here, but he's older. You know, you, you probably don't run him into a 30 yet. And he just kept hitting and look, he got to the majors and he actually hit 20 home runs last season. I mean, he, he is a major leaguer and he's someone that was not on a lot of top thirties. Who are some of the guys that are in this system, whether it's they're in the 15 to 30 range or just outside the 30 where maybe keep an eye on him and, and there might be something there. Yeah. I want to start with Mason Miller. He was their third round pick at a Gardner web this year. Uh, really interesting backstory. He started his college career at division three Waynesburg and at, one point he weighed 155 pounds. He actually lost, I think it was 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. Couldn't figure out what was going on, was eating, still losing weight. His fastball velo was sitting in the mid 80s. Um, after going to the doctors, they discovered he had type 1 diabetes. So it, he got on a regimen, his, gained his strength back, his velo came back, and it's kind of consistently uh, kept going up since then. He ended up transferring to Gardner Webb this year, taking advantage of transfer rules and he was the best pitcher in the big south uh, the velo now is in shorter stints when they when people saw him at instructs was high 90s touching triple digits and the a's look at him as a guy who could potentially move pretty quick through the system where it's upper 90s fastball velocity there's a low to mid 80s slider that he can get some swing and misses with and, and then a mid 80s change up that also has has people's attention um, he doesn't get the swing and misses that maybe you would expect out of a hundred miles an hour, but the ability to move the fastball, it pairs well with the slider makes him a really intriguing kind of quick mover, whether it's as a multi-inning guy out of the bullpen and maybe eventually down the road, he kind of blossoms into a starting rotation, but he was a guy who, who a lot of positive reviews coming back from, from when they drafted him in July to, to now who are, I think that he needs to be, on your radar, especially in a system like this, where it's kind of desperate for, for pitching to rise to the top. I think Mason Miller is the guy that, that you can keep an eye on. I do have to ask, what's the latest on Lazaro Armenteros? Uh, you know, we could probably run back the Austin Beck portion of the conversation for, for Laz as well, in that you kind of want to keep him alive because there's a ton of power there, but it's the same kind of deal. Breaking balls have been an issue. He just doesn't put the ball in play enough. There's a swing and miss. Uh, he's another guy who is not going to factor into the top 30. Um, so him and Beck and uh, both were at Lansing this year, uh, just a ton of swing and miss issues. Yeah. I mean, obviously guys you invest a lot of money in or, or take with high picks, you, you certainly want them to hit. And that is something the A's have had some problems with uh, Austin Beck followed by the Kyler Murray pick missing on Laz Armenteros. Uh, we have to see what Robert Passan is able to do when he goes back to low A Stockton next year. And just being an organization with some of the financial restraints they have, it's, it's something where you want to make sure and hit on all these as much as you can. Cause when you don't, you can't really paper it over with big free agent signings to keep you competitive yeah, I mean, in the major it, leagues. If you go back and look at the 2015 to 2019, the top of the draft for the Aces, 2015 was Richie Martin, 2016 was AJ Pug, 2017 was Austin Beck, 2018 Kyler Murray, 2019 Logan Davidson. And that's a, that's a five-year run of first-round picks who either didn't pan out the way that you thought or didn't 
reach baseball at all in, in, in Kyler Murray. I mean, for as good as the A's player development can be in certain situations, um, that's a tough thing to cover up for a five-year run of, of underwhelming results at the top of the draft, especially, like you said, in an organization like this that, that already faces a ton of constraints. We've seen them find some guys and, and help them get better. Cole Irvin's a good example, a guy who was a prospect in another system. The A's picked him up and, and turned him into a serviceable big league starter. But there's no question in order to become a playoff team again, given the likelihood that they trade some of their stars, um, th- there's going to need to be a little more from a player development angle. Mark, overall, just kind of any final thoughts on, on this system and what the A's need to do next and where it kind of goes from here? Yeah, I mean, the decisions that they make with Olsen or Chapman really you can't overstate the importance as far as um, supplementing this farm system with talent. I, I had one person I was talking to who talking about their last two drafts was Tower Soderstrom in 2020 and then 2021 netted uh, Max Muncy at the top. Zach Geloff is already up to number two. There, there's a couple interesting guys like Mason Miller, uh, Denzel Clark, and, and they're hopeful that this past draft plus Soderstrom in 2020 starts to kind of reset this system kind of in the same way, maybe that, you know, the Chapman and the Olsen and the Sean Murphy, like they think that there's a, a wave of talent at the lower levels that's going to start to make its way through this system. If you can layer in some, some guys at the upper levels of the minors through acquisitions and kind of jumpstart it, I, I don't see the A's going the route of a, of a Pirates or an Orioles where it's a full-scale tear it down to the studs that's never really been Billy Bean and Co.'s M.O., but uh, they got some decisions to make, and I think that there's some optimism that, that the system has talent at the lower levels that's, that's going to hopefully run it up our, our organization talent rankings a little bit, but it, it's light right now. It's really light. Yeah, and even if a reset is needed, I go back to in 2014, the A's reached the AL wildcard game. And that, that was a year they kind of did tear it all down. You have Josh Donaldson, Jeff Samarja, Derek Norris. There's that picture, I think, of having uh, six all-star players, and then every single one of them were gone by the next season. And they had three straight losing seasons after that, 15, 16, 17. But they were able to get some of these guys up, including Chapman and Olsen. And 2018, won 97 games. 2019, won 97 games. 2020, again, on pace for another 97-win season. And then even 2021, the quote-unquote disappointing season, they went 86-76, and 76, a perfectly respectable record. So, But it does seem like a, a reset of that type is, is probably coming. You, you would think so. I don't, <laughs> I don't see, based off the, the reported payroll constraints, how a Chapman Olsen Bassett, Manai, and Frank, you just go down the list. I don't see how they're all in the mix, you know, within the next two years, but um, I guess you never know. Yeah, we'll see what they're able to do with this farm system again. Having Tyler Soderstrom at the top is is a great place to start. You mentioned some of these other guys they've picked up in recent drafts, Geloff, hopefully Maxwell Muncy, and even a guy like Nick Allen, who, hey, you see this guy as someone, yeah, he can play in the major leagues and, and provide value for you and it's a good place to start and we'll see if the A's are able to supplement that and we'll really see how they're able to do that once the lockout ends and depending on what moves they make. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insight as always. Thanks, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mark Chiarelli, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm